Hey there, I'm Tal Zlotnitsky from Ignite IT Consulting. You know me from the Braving Business Podcast, but when I'm not behind the mic, I'm helping tech startups and established companies ignite their full potential. I also help entrepreneurs and businesses in distress reset for success. With over three decades of entrepreneurial success, I bring hands-on experience to drive growth, navigate turnarounds, raise capital, and lead through innovation. Whether it's executive coaching or strategic transformation, I'm here to turn your business challenges into success stories. Visit IgniteITConsulting.com and let's spark that change together. That's IgniteITConsulting.com. Your journey to business brilliance starts now. This episode of the Braving Business Podcast is sponsored by, well, me. I'm PJ Benoit, and I've been in the domestic and international logistics space for over 30 years. If you need any assistance with transportation or logistics, my team and I will jump at the chance to help. Whether it be parcel shipments, e-commerce, pallets and freight, full truckload, international air and ocean, imports, exports, warehousing and distribution, or really anything under the logistics umbrella, we got you covered. For more details, please go to shipwithpj.com. That's shipwithpj.com. Reach out to me there. Mention you found me on this podcast for a special surprise. And one last quick thing. If you enjoyed this episode, please stay on after the show to learn more about the Braving Business Podcast and other great episodes for you to discover. And now, let's get the show started. Why, hello there, Mr. Benoit. Mr. How How's your weekend? I'm good, man. Uh, my weekend was good, good by all intents and purposes. It was fine. It was fine. How was your weekend? Yeah, it was good. It was probably uh, a little less exciting than it was for the folks at Chad GPT, huh? <laughs> they, had, they had some weekend. Look, AI is going to take over the world eventually. So, um, you know, what do you mean eventually? Oh, all right, fine. Today, tomorrow. Well, the time you know, I think in some ways, some ways it has. I, I don't know. It uh, remains to be seen. But what happened to ChatGPT was very much of a human story, don't you think? So for those of you that don't know, well, PJ, why don't you tell them what happened to ChatGPT? Uh, some guy got fired and he got rehired. That's that's what I know. Yeah. Some guy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. They're, they're founding the founder. CEO. Yep. Uh, and, and then what happened was the entire company basically said, you know what? You fire this guy. We're leaving, too. Yeah. We want him back. Even though Microsoft hired him for a hot second. Well, not surprisingly, because they what, put in ten billion dollars into that company. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Bill, Bill, you, Bill uh, what do you think? What What did you think about what happened to ChatGPT? What I thought was amazing was the fact that the team rallied around the CEO, and that's so unusual. Typically, it's either like we're all going to just leave, and then they quietly do it, or they hated the CEO in the first place, and we're thrilled to see him go. So this was actually really nice to see. Yeah. Agreed. You know, you know what was interesting about it? There was the terrible misjudgment by the chief science officer, I think he uh, his title is, who was one of the founders, and it's actually a very well-respected scientist, uh, who apparently uh, led the rebellion inside the board. And in, in, in the board, by the way, the members of the board mostly were replaced. Uh, I think only one of them uh, survived this... Uh, uh, disaster. So, yeah, but you know, that's the right thing to do. If you've got something that happens like that and then you reverse it, you can't leave those people that did that in place. I mean, it's just, you're just waiting for another disaster to come. You've got to start fresh. So again, yeah. I think, I think this was a really interesting case study in, in 
you know, not only was it the unexpected, but then once they did it, they followed through the right way, which was really kind of refreshing. Indeed. There you go. Well, PJ, I, I think you know Bill Harper, right? So, I do. Uh, why don't you introduce our guest to uh, to our esteemed uh, our guests? I always say that. Why don't you introduce our guest to our audience, our esteemed guest or esteemed audience? How about that? Some somewhere in there, I, I think we yeah. got we got what you want. Um, <laughs> what you meant to say? I, yeah. I am thrilled that I know Bill. Bill's not thrilled that he knows me, but that's a whole other story. So. If you that haven't, I can't wait to hear. I know. If you haven't heard of Bill Harper, uh, I don't know what rock you guys have been living on under. But you know, as Tal, as you know, we haven't spent a lot of time uh, on the Braving Business Podcast talking about marketing. So if we're going to do that and we're going to broach that subject, we might as well start with one of the very best minds in the field. Bill, you know where I live. Send the check, please. No kidding. I am glad. I add extra zeros now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to make a note. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. To PJ's check. Thank you. Please make sure it's on the correct side of the decimal. Um, <laughs> I am glad that we're able to get Bill as a guest today. Bill Harper is the founder and CEO of Brand Boss and of the WM Harper Marketing Agencies, where his focus on strategic storytelling has helped and continues to help hundreds of brands do what he calls, and I quote, creating tribes through storytelling. He is also one of the most creative and innovative marketing leaders and thinkers around these days and the winner of numerous prestigious awards, which is why we're so delighted to have him on the show today. Bill spent his career helping launch brands like Carfax into, national, into the national awareness and into the lexicon. And he's also led memorable and disruptive marketing campaigns for brands like Enterprise Rent-A-Car and Everbank, as well as hundreds of others. In our pre-interview, Bill told us that he believes that the most effective and awe-inspiring work comes from the simple ideas executed in simple but elegant ways. Which doesn't mean that the process is simple or elegant. I guess that's why we call it the sausage-making part of it all. That's Bill, right. And we're going to get into that sausage. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today on the Braving Business Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you, PJ, especially. Tall, nice to be uh, acquainted finally after hearing so many good things. So glad to be here. Thanks, guys. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's wonderful. Uh, I think uh, what was I? I we're going to need to go back and play back the the last thing you said about the sausage making because I think it's a shirt. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't the normal. You didn't say it the way I've normally heard it. Yeah, you said it in a way that suggested a whole slew of other possibilities. Well, I mean, um, Bill. Bill's a good-looking guy, so take that wow, where you want. Fantastic. Boy, did this go south fast? <laughs> I was born in the south. Welcome to braving business, Bill. Welcome to braving um, business. <laughs> So, uh, Bill, it's a pleasure to meet you. I, I heard wonderful things about you from PJ. Uh, I believe some of them, some of them we'll, we'll find out today uh, how, how true they are. Uh, but, but in the pre-interview, you, you mentioned a passion for sheet metal work uh, and a near miss with a career in automotive design, of all things. Tell us how this happened. I mean, it's actually been very common. We've had lots of guests on the show that you know started off thinking they're going to be one thing and ended up being another. So that's not the rare part, but I'd love your story. How did you wind up going from there to where you wound up? Yeah. So I think this is the lesson in like grit 101, right? Is you thought you were on a path, you thought you had it under control, and then the world went left and you went right. And that's sort of how this happened. I fell in love with, uh, well, I had a number of passions when I was in, when I was in high school. I was part of uh, computer engineering. I was part of 
math and uh, writing and art and automotive and just was like a part of all of these different things that I really, really enjoyed in theater. And when I came out of school, I decided I was going to combine all of those and I was going to go become the next Pinafarina. Like that was what I wanted. I was like madly in love with the influence that Pinafarina had had on automotive design over the years and had sort of lusted after you know, the classic Ferraris that he had done and the influence that he had on Fiat and like all of these other things and managed to convince everybody that I was going to go be a mechanical engineer. And I remember my mother saying to me, you're about as much of an engineer as I am a toaster. But if you really want to go prove this to yourself, then go ahead and, and go do it. And I got into Marquette University where PJ and I met and ran smack dab into my inability to to compete with that math like they were so linear and it was so like prescriptive in terms of its thinking and here i came with like all this creative writing and this theater and this art and this like all this other stuff and i showed up and i was like i'm gonna do this great thing and i remember it was freshman orientation like school hasn't even begun yet and i'm at orientation and a guy from briggs and stratton came over and he said what do you want to do kid and i was like i'm gonna design cars like benfarina and he goes <laughs> oh yeah and i was like uh oh what happened? He said, yeah, I was that guy too. He said, let me tell you what happens. The first year, if you're lucky, you get to work on the team that designs the cigarette lighter button. And like, I'm, I'm looking at him like, you know, you're pulling my leg, right? And he says, and then, and then year two, if you're really lucky, you get part of the handbrake handle. And then the year after that, maybe you really move up and you've impressed somebody, you get to work on the like little part of the uh, seatbelt that clicks into the button holder. <laughs> it's like, I'm looking at him. He says, there are five or six people alive that do the job you just described. You're never going to be one. And he walks away. And I was like, okay, so that's how that goes, <laughs> which was then followed by uh, my running into calculus full bore. I, I, I remember the first day of class and I had aced all of my math classes up to that point. And the teacher comes in and he says, so here's a function of X when X is in motion. I just remember in a 300 person pit class raising my hand and saying, X is, X is a finite number. He said, not in calculus. In calculus, it's moving. And you went back to the blackboard and I was like, wait, it's moving. And that was the end of that. <laughs> so I made it through the semester, but um, I wound up going to uh, an interview with my teacher because I was, I was fa not failing, but I was damn close to it on some of the things. And he sat down and he said, look, he said, I've got six PhDs, but I can't do physics. He said, my brain doesn't work that way. And he said, looking at the the things you're doing and the kind of math you're doing, he said, you might be the kind of person who's tenacious enough to stick with it. And you might actually become an engineer, but you'll never be a good one because you don't, you don't get the math that way. It doesn't. You know, can, can I tell you, he, I, it's amazing to me how many people gave you such hard truths. I, yeah, I, no I'm surprised you were able to it get was, up. Holy cow. It was between no, it your was mother, which is years lesson. of therapy right there. Right. I mean, yeah. It's your mother telling you that, you know, <laughs> Oh, are you crazy or completely not cut out for that? Now go fail. And then, uh, so, and then the yeah. guy that told you that you'd never do it, and the teacher who told you you were going to suck at it, um, man, it was the best year I ever had. Because what it did was it set me up for if this doesn't, if this isn't the path, then find the path. And I think a lot of people don't get the luxury of having somebody hit them with a frying pan that way. And I think they go out thinking it's all going to be, you know, this is the way I thought it was going to be, and I'm going to stick with it, and it's going to be great. And when the surprise comes, they're not ready for it. And this, in this instance, it wasn't that way at all. I had been pretty, 
plenty prepped with people telling me this path is not what you think it is. It's not what you've, I, you know, idealized to be. You need to prepare yourself for the reality that's going to come. And fortunately, that didn't happen year three, year four. It happened first semester right out of the gate. And in doing that, I was able to pivot to something that I wound up truly falling in love with and spent and dedicated the entire rest of my career to. So I was thrilled that that happened. Very, very cool. It's nice that you had mentors uh, like that in your life right out the gate. I was, I've been thinking a lot about how mentors are very important in the entrepreneurial journey. Um, it's also really lucky that you had someone that you went to school with that uh, kept you on a straight and narrow like I did, because I am sure I was an amazing influence to you in our late teens, early twenties to ensure Absolutely. that, uh, you know, Absolutely. I, I was, I was the air beneath your wind, wings, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. It kept me guided on the, on the wholesome path for sure. I did my homework. Thank PJ God for PJ. Yeah. 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 That's, this is, <laughs> I'm sure of that already my favorite podcast we've ever done. Just so you know, already. Um, you say well, that I mean, this, this is more than Skip Martin, the lead singer of Cool and the Gang. Man, uh, I mean, he was, he was amazing. You. He was amazing. He was, right? He, he <laughs> was. And you know what? I, I thought of him as Bill was speaking because I, I, here's a guy, right, who's written and sang some of the most popular songs in the history of man, right? Billions mm -hmm. of, of downloads. There's hardly a human being on earth that hasn't heard celebration, right? And he started off and he believed he was going to do it and, and he wasn't going to be deterred. And actually, what's really interesting about what you're telling me, and I think the takeaway I have there is that those moments where someone confronts you and says, you know what, you're not cut out for this. They are moments of truth. They are not necessarily moments where you must take what they're saying at face value, but they are moments where you have to do some deep reflection. You have to, at that moment, ask yourself, are they telling me something I actually already know? Or is this something I fundamentally disagree with and I'm going to prove them wrong? And it's one or the other. It's one or the other. And you have to have the kind of inner compass, even as a young person, to be able to see whether what they're telling you is just the truth and they're inviting you to find your true purpose or they're wrong about you and your purpose and you're going to prove it to them. Yeah. Don't you find, though, that most people have both in their journey? Because... So, and I think you bring up such a great point, Tal, in that I think when people have, quote unquote, a dream, anything that comes in contact, in conflict with it that way threatens that there is no more dream behind it. What I actually wound up finding was a dream that was just as fulfilling and just as interesting. I just didn't realize that that potential existed at the time. But oddly enough, not long after that, I had another teacher get in the way of my success by by not allowing me into the program. So like I wound up finding this program, had a great first year, went to go into like the first year was your trial program. And I got to the end of that year and had like just sauntered up like I thought I was going to be in it. And he said, no, I didn't invite you into the program. And I stood there looking at him and I was like, what do you mean you didn't invite me into the program? And he was like, well, I just don't think you worked hard enough. And so I made a split decision at that moment. And I said, well, if I stayed here this summer and I committed myself to getting into the program, would I get in? And it was like one of those movie moments where he leans in and he says, I don't know. Did you or didn't you? And I was like, yeah, okay. And I literally turned, walked to a payphone, called my folks and said, I'm not coming home this summer. I'm staying here to do this program and got in that way. But I think you need those people along the path that say either you're pointed in just a little bit of the wrong direction or you're not 
you've got talent that's in there, but you're not applying it as hard as you could. And he, there were people that got into the program that weren't doing work where I was doing it, but they were at, they were giving it their all. And I think what he was waiting for was to see that I was as committed to that as they were. And once he did, then he, you know, opened the door and let me, let me through. Well, being challenged, I think is, is a, is a huge part of the journey, right? You have to sharpen your own iron when it comes to, is this, is this premise good enough? Is this product going to work? Do people want what I am trying to sell? Is the world accepting of what I'm trying to build? And I think that those challenges just help you not only, um, not only really like focus more on what the deliverables are and, and how good it is, but I, I think it really helps you whittle down, uh, you know, whether it be an elevator pitch or whether it be like a path that you're going to go on, I think it helps you really whittle down what that focus is going to be so that it's a, it is as successful as possible. I fell in love with it. Like, I don't, I don't like the positive comments anymore. I live for people poking holes because the minute that they do, I'll learn something. So it's really strange, but like I got to the place where I was on the other end of it. Like, I don't want people going, oh, that's so nice. Oh, that's so great. All I want them to tell me is what didn't work for them or what they hate about it. And that's where I can learn and get stronger on stuff. So it's it's like a big joke with my team because I'll tell them during the hiring process, you have to be willing to stand in front of me and tell me I'm an idiot. If you can't tell your boss that he's an idiot, you'll never make it here because I depend on you coming in and being like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but prove it to me, or I don't think that's going to work, or you're going the wrong direction. And my team has redirected me a number of times on stuff where they were right. And I've redirected them on things that they just haven't thought through everything. But that relationship is what builds the team and builds the, the group together. Otherwise, somebody thinks they're the smartest person in the room, or somebody thinks that they're just an executioner or whatever. The dynamic has to be, we're all here just to poke holes until you can't poke holes anymore. Very nice. Very nice. What? So, so, Go ahead. Go ahead so, so no, in, in, I mean, in that context, I mean, I think um, part of the process that uh, that you went through and, and you know, education has a lot of merit and a lot of value. Uh, and to my son, who is a, uh, a junior mechanical engineering student, keep studying hard. Uh, but the truth is that you you had an interesting perspective in our pre-interview about what MBA programs in marketing get and don't get. And and as you're kind of talking about the the experience uh of of people coming together trying to solve issues, tell me how that is different than what's presented in the classroom environment. Uh because I I have I didn't have I don't have an MBA. I I you know I did go uh, I did take graduate courses. I don't have an MBA. But I found the graduate courses I took uh to be um disconnected from reality. Let's put it that way. What's your experience there? Did you ever see uh, the Rodney Dangerfield movie, Back to School? Yeah. One of my favorite scenes ever in that is when the guy is giving the lecture about how you're going to get you know, your building thing approved. And he just starts laughing because that's not the way it works. First thing you got to do is bribe this guy to get past this regulation. And then you got to talk to that guy. And then you got to know a guy down in the thing. And that's really what I think about the way that most, and I'm limiting this just to marketing, but MBA programs don't teach marketing well. They just don't. And I blame that on Harvard because I don't think Harvard teaches it well. And as Harvard goes, so do the MBA programs around the country. But what happens is they're all internal focused. It's SWOT analysis. It's case study. It's show me about how operational efficiency can happen and show me how we can, you know, cost cut or how we can manage this or that or the other. Oh, yeah. And by the way, somebody has to buy it from us. 
And so I see the same things over and over and over again for groups that have dumped all of their investment, not necessarily money, but certainly a large part of that, all of their investment into product sales, distribution, manufacturing. And all of that is great, but you still have to have somebody that's interested to buy it. And then they go out and they tell these horrendous stories that bore people to no end. And then people don't engage with it the way that they want. And they wind up leaning on sales to get there. I just don't see that most programs teach well what it is that you need in order to be a marketing success that way. And as I stand on the front line of it every day, my point of view is pretty, after 31 years, pretty pretty rock solid in terms of what I've actually seen. So Tal, to answer your question specifically, I do think it's, it becomes theoretical the more you go down the line. Um, and I think the further you get away from actually getting out and having the experience one-on-one, the, the less impactful that theoretical knowledge is because you can't apply it appropriately. Like you get the gist, but you haven't, you haven't earned the scars. So you don't, you know, you're not like, well, no, in this situation that won't work because X and it's not grounded in anything. Hmm. I, I want to, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I can relate to that. I, I just want to say, uh, you know, I, I, I took my, my graduate work at Harvard business school and I did learn some interesting things, but my, my biggest takeaway from uh, three certificate programs I attended um, was that it it didn't have that many real world app- real world applications. That was my biggest takeaway. I, I met yeah. wonderful, very talented people. I read some really interesting case studies, and I didn't find it very easy to apply that at all. Um, so I can I I agree. Um, it's just one of the you know, make the point, uh, you know, kind of reinforce the point that there's nothing wrong with graduate work. There's nothing wrong with MBA programs. Um, but it is not a panacea. You're not going to learn everything you need to know. Yeah. And I graduated with a degree in advertising and I was like, I'm not going for an MBA. There ain't no way. Right. And so, but I wondered, like you guys are mentioning Harvard, would you, yes, it's not teaching a real world relevance so to speak you know not not fully but obviously there's got to be connections that got to be accrued through that program that are beneficial i'm assuming you're talking about personal connections and networking correct correct oh yeah of course if i went to harvard and the people that i know would be an instant you know an instant credit into any room uh, or establishment and certainly the connections of business would be phenomenal but you know <laughs> Give me somebody who who gets it, wants it, loves it, and dropped out of high school because they couldn't wait to get started on it and will eat their lunch every day of the week because they their passion for it isn't grounded in theoretical accuracy or being right. It's grounded in an inability not to do something that they just love with all their heart and soul. And that's that grit and determination and unwillingness to... Um, not do it right is something that is wholly missing when you're trying to look for what was right before as the answer to what is right now. And I think that's, that's the, the sliver of difference between those two things. Very cool. That was an awesome statement. Way too long for a t-shirt. So I'm going to have to try to figure <laughs> out, um, <laughs> to try to figure out how we're going to fit that on there or, or some semblance of it and, and throw in the word sausage. All right? Yeah. That, yeah. That'll yeah, make wow. it a great t-shirt. Wow. It's just, I think it's just going to be sausage 
dash Bill Harper. Um, That's it. <laughs> so learning from mistakes, you know, as we've, we've kind of touched on before, is a powerful teacher. And you've told us in the pre-interview that you've done things in uh, wrong enough times that you finally figured out, or that you're you finally figured out. You know what? Now's the time to ask for help. Um, and you also said that you read a lot. So could you give us an example of a time when doing it wrong really kind of helped create a breakthrough or or a right moment in your career? Oh, you're gonna have to cut the space out of this one. Um, doing it wrong yeah the first like 10 years of my career i was doing it wrong every day i was i was doing what i thought i was supposed to do instead of doing my job which was building a unique story for somebody i was trying to build other people's stories again like they were my stories and trying to say well if it was successful there then it'll be successful here and i think the big aha moment was the first time that I was brave enough to say, wait a minute, I've seen this solution over and over and over again. And each time it's gotten mediocre results. Why don't we put a twist on it that nobody expected? And there have been times where I've pushed that too hard. There was a one thing in particular where we were backed by research for a um, hospital company and uh, I literally walked into the room in this presentation with my partners at the time, and we showed them a hundred taglines that were going the wrong direction. And this group had a like a horrible relationship with the community and like they needed to be shaken up and it had to be something great. And we convinced them to go the direction of cheat death as a healthcare system for their um, wellness program. And it just blew up. Everybody got fired. We got fired. The CEO got fired. The CMO got fired. The board turned on everything. And it went from this like super inspiring, awesome idea, eight months worth of work put into it to literally being burned to the ground the next day. It was still a great idea. We got mentioned everywhere. We were mentioned on NPR. We like there were articles written about this, polarizing articles all around the globe. We had people writing and being like, that's the hospital system I want to go to is the one that won't give death a fighting chance. And then we had other people that were like, you can't cheat death. And that was exactly what the that was exactly what the problem required was going to that length to get people to sit down and pay attention to the problem. And yet everybody was so afraid of it. You know, it was, it was too big of a swing. It was too much to try to get them to, to bite down on. And so as much enthusiasm as there had been in the front end, you know, it was, it was laid waste, you know, in five days after eight months worth of work laid waste in five days. But I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't give anything. I wouldn't trade that for anything because it teaches you how far you can go to push it. And it shows you how the public will really, will react to something that is that polarizing. And there are great lessons to be learned in all of that. I still think had we been able to take it to market, it would have been one of the most successful healthcare campaigns that, that had ever run. You, you know, I, I think of a show that was one of my favorites, uh, Mad Men. Uh, and uh, obviously a lot of people loved it. And it's, uh, it, it tells the story of Don Draper and, and, his, and his crew. Uh, of men and women in the 1950s, uh, the early days of, uh, you know, uh, marketing being a thing. Uh, and back then, I don't know if any of you had, <laughs> if you've had the opportunity to see any advertising from the 50s or even the 60s, um, 
or even the 70s for that matter, what a difference in how marketing was presented, what what the, what the thought around marketing was back then versus, versus what it is now. Um, you've watched some of that. I mean, you're, you're, I think you're probably around my age. What, what have you noticed has changed, right? So there's been kind of a pretty significant shift in what people expect out of marketing, um, versus maybe what they did before. Um, what are you seeing and what do you attribute it to? So I attribute it all to, um, the internet and the arrival of the internet, the, the C-suite wanted trackability and banner advertising and online advertising allowed trackability. The birth of ROAS was there. Now, never mind the fact that most of the things that they were tracking performed at a fraction of what the other pieces had done in terms of performance. And that's really where the where the problem now resides. Everybody has gotten so tactics and data driven that even if it doesn't perform well, as long as it can be tracked, they will accept it. But in truth, the fundamentals of how we fall in love with a story, how we fall in love with a brand have never changed. And you know who's proving that right now is Liquid Death. This is a company for all these groups out there that say you must innovate all those companies, nonsense. It's about the story. This company put water in a can. There is nothing novel or new about putting water in a can, even flavored water. The whole point of it, though, this whole idea about we're going to murder your thirst instead of quench your thirst, we're going to murder you know, plastic bottles, we're going to go after it, the lengths they'll go to to tell a story is breathtaking. And as such, they just got a $100 million cash infusion and a $700 million valuation for water in a can. <laughs> that is all story. And the simple fact is, is that that same example is all around us. Apple and Disney and Nike and Dollar Shave Club and Poopery and Tom's Shoes and a thousand others that I could list. And yet companies are so afraid to say something unique. They're so afraid to step out and put a message, a broad brush awareness message out because it's not trackable. If I do television, it's not, there's not a row has track. If I do an outdoor board, if I do top end of the funnel, it's awareness generating. And they're terrified to do it because they can't track it. But then ask them this, between buying a Honda or a Voodoo, which one will you buy? And all of them will say, well, Honda. And you say, why not? Go ahead, say it out loud. And they say, well, because I never heard of a Voodoo. And then they will literally walk right into a board meeting with their agency and say, we don't need awareness. Well, all we need is bottom of the funnel. LinkedIn at a digital summit here in Raleigh two weeks ago came out and did an entire 45-minute segment. They hit it at the end of the day, I might add. Nonetheless, they came out and did an entire 45-minute segment that said, brand outperforms performance marketing hand over fist. They further went on to say, the bottom of the funnel that everybody is chasing represents only between 5 and 10% of the entire potential buying public for any one brand. And then they backed it up with Nielsen data. I sat here and I watched the entire presentation unfold in front of my eyes. LinkedIn says brand is first. LinkedIn, they're not the only ones. People from Google are saying it. People, the, the great almighty Gary Vaynerchuk is saying it. Like all these people that were like, just hammer out content forever and it's gonna be great and whatever. There's a lot that's being missed, but here's what it is. People will not buy products that they don't see. They will not buy products that they don't know, not easily. 
And that margin of, of momentum that you're getting is the initial early, early fringe group that's willing to buy it or diehard people that are willing to try anything to see if they can get a better one. You'll never get mass. You'll never get scale. It's just not possible without broad brush awareness to drive the, excuse me, the interest. And that's that's kind of like your focus, though, with with uh, Brand Boss HQ, right? Like uh, storytelling is like super central to your work and where you really made a mark in perfecting that strategic storytelling. Um, why? So through strategic strategic storytelling, boy, there there goes my lisp. Um, what makes you think that that stories resonate so deeply with people and and um, how have you, Mr. Harper, harnessed that power in your most successful campaigns? Here's what I want you to pay attention to that nobody thinks about. Everything you know and do is storytelling. You go to a cocktail party and you decide if you just met the nicest person or the biggest jerk. How? It was the stories you told each other. When everything you know about religion, politics, the way you learned language, whether you go to, I don't know, uh, somebody's baseball game and enjoyed the conversation or not, it's all storytelling. We just don't think about it that way. But that's it. Did I share my story? Did it resonate with the other person? Did they have similar stories? Did I see something that I valued and what they value? Those, those are what we call friends. That commonality trips our pack mentality. And we feel comfortable. Oh, that person sees this, the world the same way I do. They value the things the same way that I do. I feel safe with them. They're my people. They're my tribe. And that's exactly what these stories do. They express in a fun and playful way what we stand for so that people who also stand for it can opt in. I'm a Mac. I'm a PC. Which side of that equation are you? Are you the stuffy person who just wants to get it done? Are you the person who wants to sit and think and be novel and interesting? The way they dressed them, the actors they chose, the story they told, the way they told it, all of it was all representative of what that brand stands for, which is respecting the contribution of the individual. And that has been Apple's stance from the beginning. Their 1984 spot, the George Orwell, uh, Orwell spot about not becoming a cog in the wheel. Now, fast forward to the 90s. Think Different, where they honored the contribution of Amelia Earhart and the rest. And now fast forward again to the 2000s of the I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. It was the exact same strategy the entire time. When you open a Mac, you're contributing something creatively. When you open something else, a PC, a Dell or whatever, you're just working a spreadsheet. That's exactly what that brand was trying to convey. And that brand has done an excellent job of conveying it. Through. Bill, let me ask you about your own journey, right? So, so Brand Boss HQ is a relatively new company for you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it is. How are how are you? What is your story? What story are you telling, and what is it rooted in? That story that you tell to get attention for your agency. Well, that, so that's the funny thing is that I wasn't going to go on TikTok. I somebody challenged me to go on TikTok, and I told them no for months. And then the minute that I went on TikTok, it started blowing up, which was kind of amazing to me. But the thing that I wanted to do on the platform was I wanted to make better customers. That's what I wanted. I wanted better clients. And so I just started sharing what I know, everything that I know about how this works. And I hid nothing and I hide nothing. And I'm happy to talk to people. I fill three days a week sitting and talking with people about here's what you need to know about how this works. Here's what you need to avoid that doesn't work. Because when they ultimately come and hire me, they're better clients because they know what they're looking for and they know what to ask for. 
Well, it's look, the the whole TikTok thing, I actually want to get into a little bit because I find that fascinating. Um, you know, especially from a from someone who, you know, I I grew up with very traditional advertising, took advertising in college, you know, the whole marketing kind of thing. And I've known Bill for most of my life. So Bill, I'm going to share a little bit of a, of a little bit of your background, but um, you know, Bill's been in the marketing game forever, always been very successful, always a very well uh, liked and respected name in that field. And during COVID, obviously things got kind of, kind of hard and, and difficult. And um, you know, you, you had, you had ran through it, uh, with, you know, full guns blazing as well as you could keeping your, keeping everyone around and, and doing what you can to service your customers. But it was tough. COVID was tough for you, for your family, for, for everyone. And, and we all, we all shared in that. Um, but then you get on TikTok and you start doing just like what you're saying. You start sharing your ideas and talking about what an ideal customer is and, and what you would love to see from their customers. And I watched you blow up like seriously blow up, which was amazing. Tell us a little bit more about that. A, like what got, I know someone, someone um, challenged you to do it, but you know, you were, you were kind of on your last leg in regards to, um, you know, where you were. And then you, you steeled yourself. You, you, you brought that resiliency to the table and you delved headfirst into something else that actually has, has booned for you. And so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it was just like college. I had somebody come to me who was about 10 years my senior who has already made his dump truck full of money and was working as a consultant. And he came to me and he said, I think you should go on TikTok. And I just laughed at him literally in the hallway. I was laughing at him. I was like, I don't even let my kids go on TikTok. No, I'm not going on TikTok. That's ridiculous. And he kept coming back to me and he kept saying, I think, I don't think you understand the platform. I really think that there's something that you could be contributing here. You should go on. And I kept telling him no. I told him no for months. And finally, he came to me and he said, look, I'm flying a TikTok star out from LA. And at that point, I just literally burst into tears laughing. I was like, what the hell is a TikTok star? I was like, famous for being famous? What is that nonsense all about? And he was like, no, you really need to come and see this guy. He's done some amazing things and he's generated like, I don't know, a half a million followers or a million followers. I forget what it was. And he was like, you need to come see this guy. And so I said, well, who else is coming? And he rattled off five or six companies that were over $100 million in top line revenue that were all buying tables to come to this thing. He said, look, I will put you in this room. Just come see this thing. I think there's something here that you could do. And so I went and I, I watched what he was trying to convey. And while it wasn't very succinct, he had done it naturally. So he had just sort of figured out a way to make his success by recreating a real world kind of a show on TikTok. Um, I walked away understanding that what he was talking about was segment. And I also understood that some of the examples that he showed were about what I ultimately came to refer to as mini mentorship, little bits of anything you're interested in. And I came to understand that TikTok is the ultimate television channel. It is if you're interested in making balsa wood, life-size replicas of Star Wars ships, there's a thousand hours and three minute segments of how to shape the wood and glue it and paint it and light it and do everything else. And it doesn't matter what you're interested in. It's the place where all of us can go to learn about anything that is of interest to us. And once I figured that out, 
then it was like, okay, there is a place. So underneath that layer of, you know, kids shaking their ass, which is basically what you think of when you first go on the platform, there's this entire knowledge base. Um, and when I heard them say, you know, kids are using this as a search engine, I didn't understand what they meant until I got into it. And I realized that it wasn't just kids that were on the platform. You know, the first time a company over 50 million top line revenue contacted me and said, I saw you on TikTok, like it took my breath away. And we wound up creating, because PJ is right, WMH at that point was really struggling. And we had dropped down from over 20 people down to two or three. And it was, you know, over the course of a year and a half, us just like having to, we were waiting and waiting and these large scale companies couldn't close these deals and the rest. And the minute that we opened up this idea on TikTok, all of a sudden I started getting literally dozens in the beginning and then hundreds of people sending me messages saying, can you talk to me? Can you talk to me? Can you talk to me? And we sat down and built Brand Boss HQ for those emerging brands that were under 25 million that needed somebody to talk to about how do I begin this journey or how do I course correct on the journey? And that's what led us to everything that's happened. And we have recognized over seven figures in net new income in the last eight months, just off TikTok alone, no other lead activity of any kind. And this is, this is why I was like, I got to get Bill on this podcast because you've done something that I don't think many people have, and you've created a bonafide viral moment. And I'm going to ask you about that, but I'm also going to preface this by saying, um, there is a gentleman that, that I know that had been on another podcast of mine, and his name is Hillel Fold. And Hillel is known as the top advertiser and marketer in Israel, actually. And, and he's in Forbes and, and super brilliant guy, super nice and, and, and very connected. And I, I watched Bill do this, this, um, this one TikTok where he's talking about marketing and uh, – and the, and the flat tire and Bill, I'll, I'll let you tell that story. But, and it's, it was like, oh, this is a really cool idea. It's a very succinct way of thinking about what's good marketing. And then like three weeks later, I see Hillel do Bill's story and talk about it. And he's, and he's selling it. And there's like hundreds of thousands of likes, like instantly. And I went back to Bill and I'm like, Bill, who made, is this your story or is this Hillel? So he goes, no, I you know, my story. I was like, Oh my God. So I actually put the two of them together just because it's like, you guys should really talk, but it's, it's very interesting to see someone use TikTok for business in a viral way that really helps them out. And Bill, tell if you wouldn't mind, share the, the, the quick story that, that you had concocted to better explain uh, what, what good marketing is. And then tell us how that changed everything. So the tow truck story, which is the one that you're referring to, was out of necessity. I was in a room where I had to get a bunch of people to understand how it felt to be a consumer. They were so inside their own company that they couldn't see the consumer's point of view any longer. And so I gave them this quick story and I said, look, imagine that you're on your way to something really important that you've been planning for months. It's the morning of the of the big event you've got on your like you know, Sunday best, and you've got all of your presentation notes and everything, and it's great. And you sitting in the garage in your car and you look at your watch and you realize that it's an hour drive, but it's, uh, I'm sorry, a half hour drive, but you got an hour to get there. So you've got a nice 30 minute cushion. You're feeling good. You pull out. As you pull out though, 
It's raining cats and dogs. It's just nasty out. And as you pull on the highway, the worst thing possible happens. You pop a flat. Now you get out, but it's raining cats and dogs and you're on your way to this big thing. So you call a tow truck. Now it takes the tow truck driver 15 minutes to get there. When the tow truck driver does finally get there and walk up to your window, he knocks on the glass and says, did you order a truck? You're looking at your watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's me. It's me. I ordered a truck. He goes, listen, you did the right thing calling our towing company. Our towing company has been in business longer than any other towing company in the world. Our people go through a more rigorous training process than anybody else. It's something we're very proud of. And we've won more awards than anybody else in the towing industry. Now, if you look back at that truck, we worked with Mack Truck on a proprietary truck. Nobody else has that. That's just something that we have that uh, operates better than anybody else. And now the tires that are on that truck, we worked with Michelin, they will never slip. And the reason we did that is because we care about you so much because we know that your car is the second biggest investment and we want you to know that we care about that. And what are you thinking about the entire time this moron is talking? Move on, I gotta get somewhere. Yeah, fix my damn tire, right? Now imagine the exact same scenario, same thing, only this time the guy knocks on the glass and he says, hey, did you order a truck? Yeah, 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 you say I ordered a truck. He goes, great, our motto is on the road in 15 minutes or less, we get, we know you got places to go. And he gets to work. Same company, same people, same towing experience, same history, same everything. Which one are you gonna talk about that night at dinner and who are you gonna avoid like the plague? That's branding. But most people don't understand that. So they sit and they talk about themselves. They talk about their company. 95% of marketing or more is tow truck driver one. Apple, Nike, Disney, Tom's, Liquid Death, that's driver number two. They understand that the person is only trying to get somewhere. None of us is relevant. My company's not relevant. Your company's not relevant. No company is relevant, except that it makes it possible to achieve something or to make something go away that you want. That's it. For all the rhetoric in our industry, our brands either make something possible or they make something go away. End of story. You got to figure out which side of that equation you're on, and then you got to tell a really, really good story about that. And that's it. Well, gee, I, I, uh, I'd never heard that before. I wasn't aware of, uh, of, of this anecdote. I, I knew you really broke out on TikTok. I was looking forward to understanding how. I get why that is so compelling my question though is how did that break through the fact that you say something really profound and really compelling on social media doesn't always get you the re the results and the attention it's a very very loud world how did you break through just luck i don't know what i am told is you're the first time it's ever made sense that's what i hear all the time but that, that part again the question again. is how did they even hear it that's the part i'm that's the part i'm looking for someone to solve for me how did you apparently get i said enough something that somebody forwarded it or passed it or whatever it didn't make any sense to me either i didn't and in fact it's just dumb luck that i went on again because the first time that i did it and the guy tom that suggested that i go on i thank him profusely on a, on a weekly basis but I went on and I got like 300 views or something on the first thing I posted. And frankly, it ticked me off. I was like, well, hell, I can do better than that. So I went on and I did another one. Well, that one got like a thousand views. And I was like, well, I can do better than that. So the whole point of it was, what other thing can I talk about that might be interesting? I wasn't talking about me. I was only talking about, hey, if you're trying to write an elevator pitch, this is what you need to know about it. Hey, if you're trying to build a brand, here's where you need to start. And I was just sharing information. And I think, Tal, to your point, 
I am certain that luck played a huge role in this. But what I am told by people, and this is global, this is no longer US. Um, I literally just got off the phone with Brazil two hours ago, and I was talking to Kuwait the day before, which blew my mind. And I've been as far as Singapore and Australia and New Zealand with people who've called and said, I saw your TikTok video and I stayed up late to talk to you because I want to hear how you, how would you approach this problem or what would you do? I think they just finally found somebody that was willing to share their, their knowledge about something. And if I'm able to be completely blunt, didn't sound like they were totally full of shit. Yeah, I, I get that. And I, I think of Pete Moores, who uh, was our guest in season one. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think he made, uh, a somewhat similar point. I think that the two, the two threads here that I want to connect are one, there may be things that, you know, because you're in your field in your trade and they may seem obvious to you, but they're not obvious to most people. Uh, so sharing knowledge that is obvious to you isn't by definition, uh, wasting time, uh, or telling people what they already know. Don't assume that. So I think I think one thing you did was you had a story. Honestly, I've been in business a very long time. Never heard that uh, anecdote make complete sense to me. Probably will impact how I do marketing in my new startup, and then maybe everything I do from this point forward because it was that compelling and that profound. And I get it. You shared it. I hadn't heard it. A lot of people heard it. The people that heard it did what is logical, which is they wanted to know more. Um, now, did luck play a part? Yes. And as we've heard time and time again in Braving Business, episode after episode, talking to billionaires and super famous people, um, luck is not something to be afraid of, not something to be shy about, not something to apologize for. But you know what? Luck tends to favor the brave. Mm -hmm. Luck tends to be the... Uh, the, the logical conclusion of fearlessness in action and fearlessness in action. And so, yeah, you know what, Bill? I love the fact that when I asked you that question, yeah, but how did you break through? Your answer was, I don't know. I, I don't find that discrediting. I find that I, 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 I'm, it makes you that much more believable to me. If you had given me some song and dance, and PJ knows me enough to know, I would have challenged the shit out of you if you'd given me some bullshit story. True. Because that's that's not something I'm willing to have on this podcast, telling people some song and dance. There isn't, at the end of the day, anything wrong with saying, you know what? Not totally sure, but I shared something very wise. I was willing to go out there. I was willing to put myself out there. I was persistent. I love the second part of that story which is the second thread, the first uh, uh, post got you 300 views and the next 1,000, you had a competitive spirit. You weren't satisfied with that. You wanted to do better. Yeah. I think there are lessons in that to our, for our audience in everything you just said, not just the brilliance of the marketing wisdom you shared, but the path that got you there, I think is just as valuable to our audience. Well, also, I will say... You know, not that I spend a tremendous amount of time on TikTok, but you know, liar, I've, 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 I've perused, <laughs> I've perused. So you know, the the thing that, and really, when you when you take a step back and you think about all of that content that's just like flooded at you, the thing that makes Bill stand out is 
A, he clearly knows his shit, right? So that's, there's that. He has an air of confidence about him that when you see him, you're like, oh, this guy, he knows his shit. But also he presents everything in a very human, uh, just kind of, this is what it is kind of way. And I think that's what makes it so endearing. And then somehow you get engagement that's driven through that. And maybe not even somehow, I think you're laying the door open for people who want to engage with you. Um, you leave that door open through that approach, which I think is brilliant because you're not pontificating, but you're, you're telling your, um, you're telling your viewpoint of what you see and how you see it, uh, through your years of, of expertise and you're just laying it out there. And I, th- I think that's what, what people get. They're like, okay, this isn't a song and dance. This isn't, uh, your, the regular dog and pony show. This is something that is credible and I'm going to reach out and, and do that for engagement. Now that I'm just thinking about it in TikTok land for engagement, for, for entrepreneurs who want to get their, their own brands out there. They want to get started on, on social media. Maybe, maybe it's not even TikTok. Maybe it's Instagram or what, whatever, LinkedIn or whatever it is. What would you, what would you say to someone from a marketing guru standpoint about getting their brand out there and differentiating themselves from what Tal mentioned earlier, which I love all the noise that's out there. Like how would you, how would you advise someone to get started with that? I think number one is forget the fact that there's competition. That's the strongest message I can give anybody. Nike didn't have anybody to compare themselves to after a while. They had to forge ahead and make their own path. You don't get to 46 billion by pretending to be somebody else. They simply said, well, I guess we've passed everybody. Now what? And I think the more there's this amazing reference movies a lot because they're so great at visualizing a concept, but there's a point in searching for Bobby Fisher where the coach you know, Bobby's sitting and looking at the board and he can't figure out his next move. And the coach knocks all the pieces off the board and he says, can you see it now? And it was like one of those movies where like our moments in the movie where I stopped the film and was like, what a brilliant, brilliant way to say, stop looking at the problem the way you've always been looking at the problem and start thinking about it in terms of what's possible. And I think that's that's the thing. So you don't have any competition. You never had any competition. The only competition you have is how much you are capable of pushing yourself to achieve, period, end of story. So the more you focus on that, the better. Therefore, it doesn't matter which story you tell. It matters that you tell a good one and that you care about it and that it is true to you. That's what matters. So, you know, think about this. Volvo's entire entire success is built on the idea of safety. Now, once upon a time, they invented the three-point harness. How long ago was that? How many consumers know that that was why they chose safety? Mercedes is actually safer than Volvo, but Mercedes wanted luxury. There's no way to prove you're the most luxurious car. That's not possible. Rolls-Royce didn't swing by and say, oh, we're taking that away from you now. That's not how that worked. And it doesn't matter. There are enough people to achieve any goal you have on any subject if you just stay true to one thing and let people get used to you being that one thing. Eddie Murphy never asked people if it was okay that he was funny. He went out and he said, I'm going to be the funniest man alive, damn it. And he kept telling people, I'm Eddie Murphy, I'm funny. Now let me show you how funny I am. And he did it over and over and over again. You don't like that one? Use Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
Arnold was not big the day he started. He went to the gym and said, I'm going to be the biggest man alive. And he did it again and again and again until it became true. It's not about the right solution. Stop trying to find the right answer. There is no right answer. Stop burying yourself in stupid data. Get something that you are passionate about, that you believe in. Build a story around it that you love and believe in. Hire people that believe in that story too and go to the moon. That's it. It's like for all the books and all the crap that we hear, boil it off into something everybody can understand and stop overcomplicating the damn thing. You know, I, as you were giving the example of the cars, um, I thought of a, an example, I thought of a commercial by Chrysler from, I don't know, 20 years ago. And what's memorable about that commercial, but not in a good way, is that they made up, they made up a kind of leather. Corinthian, Corinthian leather. Does anybody leather. remember that? Oh, yeah. With uh, Ricardo Montalban. That's right. Corinthian leather. And Fine. their thinking was, we're going to make it sound fancy. And that's going to make people think we're a luxury car and a luxury brand. Yeah. Um, you can't fake your way to something. It's got to be real. It's got to be you. It's got to be them. Frankly, it's got to be mostly them, mostly your customers or your prospective customers. It has nothing customers. to do with you. It has yeah. nothing to do. This is what Bud Light learned the hard way. It has nothing to do with you at all. It has to do with a group of people that aligned with who you are and what you're all about and then staying true to that thing. Now, well, let, me challenge, let, me, let me challenge, let me challenge you on that. that. I, I, let me challenge you on that. You're saying it's not about you. It's about how can it not be? I mean, ultimately, the second part of your sentence is people that align with you. There has to be a you, but you has to, the you in the story has to be authentic. And it's got to resonate in order for people to want to be a part of that. You, I mean, you can't say that you telling the story about the tow truck had nothing to do with why people wanted to talk to you. You told that story and you told a compelling. They didn't call a tow truck company. They called you. Right. Why? But, but, but we're talking about, this is the Martin Luther King Jr. thing, right? If he'd said, I have a plan, no one would have paid attention. And he said, I have a dream. There's room for you in a dream, in a cause. That's why marketers talk about creating causes all the times or creating tribes. So when I say it's not about me, what I'm saying is the idea isn't about celebrating me. The idea is about celebrating the idea. Once that idea is in place, then other people can find their way to it because they too shared the belief in that dream or that idea or that ideal or that whatever. That's okay because it's not about me. If I went out and I was like, oh, well, I'm the greatest advertiser that ever, blah, 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 blah. No one's going to buy into that because there's no room for them in it. But actually right? you make it, you, you absolutely, I wholeheartedly agree. And yet there's a side to that, what you just said, that we can't ignore, which is you choosing your path is about you. You choosing how you approach the situation, how you approach your customer says a lot about you. And that's why it is to a point about you, your approach to things and your approach to things should be centered on the customers and what they want. So, well, that's the, that's the thing though, right? I can either tell them how great this is, or I can share my excitement in the success of the people that I had the pleasure and privilege of working with, which shows my dedication to the idea without making it about me. 
So it isn't about, it's not about me. I'm completely irrelevant to the equation. The only thing that's valuable is whether or not the things that I can contribute get the people closer to the thing that they want. That's all that this business is about. And frankly, I think it's all any business is about. The runner buys shoes because they want to be able to run better or more comfortably, which means better. They want progress. That's why Nike is where Nike is, because they sell this idea of progress, which is universally applicable. Everybody can enjoy the idea of progress, whether you are Michael Jordan or you're Bill Harper, once a year 10K runner, or you're you know a guy who has to lose half his body weight to avoid a heart attack. There's room for you in the story of progress. That's not about Nike. That's about a shared thing that we all get to participate in. Disney wants to recapture the magic of childhood. That wide-eyed wonder we had when we saw Mickey Mouse life-size the first time and lost our little mind. They want to package and bottle that over and over and over again to perpetuate the feeling of joy of being a child. That's not about them. That's about something that they subscribe to or ascribe to, and it's something that excites them, but it's not the same. So, you know, if they were just sitting there saying, we're Disney, we're the biggest, baddest, the most amazing thing on the planet, no one would listen. But if they say, we want to make the most childlike experiences happen, the most wide-eyed childish experiences happen again for you, people can find their way into that. Hmm. It's a subtle difference, but it means all it means all the difference in the world. If you can get past that subtle distinction, there is no limit to your ability to grow. Because what you're saying is, is bring me all the people who feel the same way. That's that's where marketing is most powerful. See how I believe this and I live it. You are excited about it too. It's Forrest Gump running, right? Why are you running? I don't know, but I want to run too. That's the thing. Once you tap that, you can't help it. They'll follow. Very cool. Well, I, I'm going to have to give it some thinking. I I, I absolutely get your point. Uh, don't disagree with it. I, I don't, I don't know how you separate that entirely. I, I, but I, but I get it. I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I, I don't know that Disney is not about Disney. Um, I can't, I can't remember. I was trying to think of their slogan right now and I couldn't. It was happiest uh, place I think on earth, I think it's but the they happiest changed place, it. The happiest place on earth, right? I think that that's that's the one I thought it was, but I didn't think it was it anymore, and I couldn't think of the new one. I can't um, either now. <laughs> yeah. I think it's give me all your money. I think that's what it is. <laughs> I think it's fourteen dollars for a sandwich on a two hundred degree August day. I think that's what <laughs> yeah. it is. But I could I could be remembering it wrong. <laughs> Whoever thought Florida was hot in the summer? Uh, well, I'll tell you, it, it sure is nice in Florida this time of the year, my friend. I don't know about you in Chicago, but uh, but I'm cool. not minding Tampa weather this time of year. Yeah, yeah. Rub it in, rub it in. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, our, our guest today, uh, Bill Harper, uh, has shared some remarkable wisdom. And, and um, you know, I, I, I want to be clear. I, uh, I I don't disagree with what you're saying. I, I, I think it's the it's the the approach that we or I, the approach that any of us as business people take says something about us. It may, it doesn't mean the campaigns about us or products about us. It has to be about the customer, but it, it does speak to us and our values. And I think that customers get that in our authenticity. Um, and I guess that's my point. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if that you have any comments on that. I mean, 
nowadays, now more than ever, the younger generation of consumers, they, they expect authenticity. They expect they expect more than just a product or or service. Um and I don't know, I don't know whether that's different than what you're saying or the same. I, I need to give it some more thinking. But I appreciate that you made me think. And um, you know, I for for sure I'm going to apply the lessons of the tow truck. Um and I'll share it. So I, I can see why that became viral. It's brilliant. Um, and I, I'm sure that everyone that listened to this podcast or watched us on YouTube will re- take it with them as well. And and hopefully they'll remember the source and the point of origin, which was you. And Bill, if people did want to reach you, uh, how could they do it? Well, you can certainly follow me on TikTok at, at brandbosshq. Um, but I think, uh, if you wanted to, to reach out another way would be to, to visit brandbosshq.com and all of my contact information is available through the company there or wmharper.com and you can find us there. And I'll tell you, Tal, you just gave me the greatest compliment ever, which is if I've made you think about something, then that's, that's phenomenal. And I think that's a big part of my personal brand is I. I don't want to have conversation for the fun of having conversation. I want to benefit by learning something new and having something to think about at the end of, of each conversation. And I hope to give that same thing back. And this has been a good one for both of those. So I appreciate the invitation to be on PJ. Thanks so much for, for the opportunity to do that. Of course. And also um, just to, if you want to feel really good about it yourself, um, I spent decades sitting there going, what the hell did Bill just say? I don't, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, that's that's Uh-oh. one way of saying it. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> we'll see if we can't make it a little clearer. Yeah, yeah. Forward. I, 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 as always, uh, you know, PJ finds a way to 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 bring joy and merriment, uh, which is awesome. Uh, and I'll and I'll do what I do, which is uh, try to draw a lesson f- from it for our audience. And uh, and and I think the lesson is. Um, be authentic. Make it about your customer. Um, don't be afraid to take risks, and don't fear um, the experience of um, doing something bold uh, just because it hasn't been done. Um, just go out there and, and do what you think your customers need and want. Um, do it authentically, and good things are likelier to happen than if you pursue the connect the dots approach that so many brands uh take and uh i think if you if you find what bill said compelling and you approach how you build your brand using those principles your odds of breaking through and being successful are uh, substantially enhanced and i would close by saying you know i thank you for uh, what you said about uh you making me think and I would say that that's kind of our goal here at Braving Business. So, you know, for every episode that we have, uh, we want to entertain. Um, and PJ is great for that and, and other things. Uh, we also want to make people think. And, and we hope that they, they walk away from, you know, listening to us, feeling that they had, uh, they, they had one more tool in their toolkit. Um, and Bill, I got to say, I've been in business uh, a long, long time. And I actually added a tool to my toolkit today because of you. And I'm grateful for that. Well, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And and I'm pleased 
every way I can be that this was uh, a good thing for for each of you. So thanks again. Awesome. I hope maybe we do it again one day. Give me a holler back and we, we'll, we'd love we'll that. talk about something else. We'll see where it goes. That would be amazing. Truly. Recording right, stopped. Guys, thank you All so right. much. Bill, you're, you're awesome, awesome, dude. As usual. As usual. I, I hope I didn't push uh, on. I, I wasn't disagreeing with you. I wanted to. F- I, I, I felt that it would come across. I mean, people will struggle with something not being about them, even on the point of origination side. And I guess that's my point. What's about you is it has to be authentically you. People yes. smell fake. That was why I went to the Corinthian leather example. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, I don't think we disagree and I hope that came across. I'll have to listen. I didn't want to step on you at all. And I hope I didn't. No, no, did, no, I no. I don't think it was, no, no, no. I didn't think it was negative at all. And I love the fact that there's a question there. Like that's, again, that's the biggest compliment, right? Is like, let me think on, on how we think about that. What I, what I guess I mean is, um, it's not about promoting you. It's about yeah, promoting that the I agree idea. With. That's that's the distinction line that I make. But you're giving me right. that feedback is great because if that's if that's how you heard it, that's probably how other people heard it too. And there's an easy way for me to pivot off of that to make it clearer. So I, I super appreciate the feedback, guys. I hate to uh, do it. I have another call in sixty seconds. So I need well be, before those sixty sure seconds are out, Bill. Uh, I want to have a call with you. I have a new startup. I'd like to pick your brain about it. Uh, we're doing sure. something really cool and really unique. So if that's okay with you, I'll I'll get some time on your calendar. And yeah, uh, absolutely, let's do. And be, us at Braving Business, we we'd love to get, pick your brain about how. I mean, we are doing well, but we could do even better. So maybe you can help us there too. Would be happy. To I've do already it. called. Him Thanks again it. for the invite. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. We'll All talk right. soon. Guys. Have a great day. All right, take care. Thank uh-huh. you so much, man. Bye-bye. Bye bye. And that's a wrap, folks. Like what you heard? Want to support the show? Please follow our page on LinkedIn and Facebook. Visit us on YouTube and please like and rate us on all of your favorite podcast streaming services. You can also see exclusive content, subscribe for free to our weekly blog, support our sponsors, and soon buy our merchandise at www.bravingbusiness.com. Thanks for being a part of our production, and we'll see you next time on the Braving Business Podcast. 